In the studios at Elstree, just north of London, we've been watching Chewbacca, Princess Leia, Han Solo and the others making the film whose launch, the cinema world, is now awaiting at fever pitch. And we've been learning what differences there are when you shoot a major film with a British rather than a Hollywood technician. Han Solo. Ah, uh, he drinks more tea. C-3PO? Well, you get marvellous results here, and it's surprising that uh, more isn't done here. But Luke Skywalker? That, it's, it's almost the same, except with British accents. Action! But whatever the stars, Harrison Ford, Anthony Daniels, and Mark Hamill think, the men who turn their adventures into film are in no doubt that making a big-budget movie on a British film stage with a British crew can make very good sense. Their producer, Gary Kurtz. Oh, I'm very happy. They are as well-trained as anyone in the world, and the crew that we selected for Star Wars and that we have working on Empire couldn't be better, I don't think. Yeah. Books. Books. I'm just remembering now uh, in uh, The Name of the Rose. I, I told you about that movie. There, there's just this... his favorite film. Well, it's his favorite book. Of all time. No. It's yeah. his favorite book, not his favorite film. It's one of his favorite films. Why are we talking for Matt? We're, 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 we're us. Guest star Matt. De Death star him. Matt, which is interesting thought in itself. we were reviewing a Star Wars film. Yeah. Um, uh, welcome, everybody, back to The Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And uh, we are returning to uh, the, the segment, which I uh, am a big fan of, because it gives us a chance to, uh, um, I don't know if the term is geek out or nerd out or just, or not even that, that's just obsess over how movies get made. We read stuff. We sometimes read. We, we like to read books. We're, we're not, uh, we try to be literate people. Yeah. Yeah, books. Ah! I was so we read a book which is actually a follow-up to a book we've talked about already that's right if you go back to uh january of last year uh, january 2016 uh not too soon after force awakens came out uh andrew and i decided to check out uh the book by jw rinsler uh which was all about the making of star wars right. and the the cool thing was that this guy rinsler uh had access to Everything. The entire Lucasfilm library. Oh my god. He 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 got into George Lucas's crawl space and got pictures that nobody should have even seen. Right. Uh he didn't maybe those didn't get in the book, but there are so many behind the scenes photos in that book. And then what's great though, it tells the full story of how Star Wars got made from conception to its uh you know, release. And it's no idealized portrait either. No, it just tells it as I mean, it was. It's not sorted. Well, well it's not. <laughs> well, not not exactly sorted. I mean, it's you know you, you can read it as it's not written in a way that it's necessarily meant for kids, but it's not meant in a way that's puerile or anything like that. No, no, it's but but it gives the unvarnished truth. A because they were taking interviews from when it was going on. Like, it's not the hindsight type of thing. Right. Where you look back and you say, well, I could have done this or this or this, and this is kind of how I saw it at the time. No, no, this was as it was going on. Somebody was kind of interviewing everybody as the movie were, was getting made. And the cool thing is, Rinsler did this type of book for all three of the original trilogy films. Which means we're reading The Making of the Empire Strikes Back. Yes, we read this book. And now, let me tell you what I thought initially about doing this as a possibility. Okay. Were you against it? No. 
because I like podcasting. <laughs> but I'm glad that you like podcasting. I do too. But what? here's the thing. Star I had this impression of Star Wars as the hard stuff happened in making of New Hope. And then That was your impression. Yes, and then by the time that was a success, it got substantially easier and then you know, it's like, oh, we got another film. What, I thought, what sort of compelling story could you tell about the making of The Empire Strikes Back, except for, you know, perhaps the sort of... Clashing? The, the measures taken around concealing, you know, around the audience reaction to Empire Strikes Back and all that stuff, and, you know, the, the big reveal at the end. Like, so I, Because that was the only interesting thing I knew about The Empire Strikes Back. I've seen a documentary... Done about the making of Star Wars, and they you saw Empire of Dreams. Yeah, I saw Empire of Dreams, and the way they talk about Empire Strikes Back, they have very little to say. They, they didn't focus as much as they did on the making of Star Wars. Yeah, and I had the idea is because making of Star Wars was a much more compelling story. I thought that's what it was. You know what I think? Well, here's the thing, though. In that documentary, you know, again, that's the difference between reading this book and that documentary. That documentary was made in two thousand four for the the first dvd release of star wars so by then you have this officially commissioned lucasfilm documentary about making that trilogy and like i said it's the difference between getting interviews in 2004 versus 1979 yeah so you have a different perspective on it and you have people saying different things about how the movie got made and recollections change a little bit plus there is this idea in empire of dreams where it's a very uh, this sort of I mean they do it's, it's mention this sort of like hagiography of Star Wars where it's like hagiography em- that's a big word where it's like Star Wars is so great this is the story of how it became great this is more like this this is more like this is the the nuts and bolts of how this film actually got made more than that it's just how to one like the first movie. How to make a movie and how to make also a sequel, yes, in a lot of ways, which is very difficult. And that's where this book gets interesting because there's a lot more to The Empire Strikes Back see, than just thinking it's the second film. See, it I was kn- much easier. See, no, I, it was not. see, I knew a little trivia about it. I knew that it, um, I knew the budget actually went out of control uh, before reading this book, like because mm-hmm. originally. Yeah, the the movie was budgeted originally at fifteen million dollars. By the time they were done, it was double that. Yeah, which is interesting to think about because, you know, this was not the only film that came out in nineteen eighty where the budget spiraled out of control. Oh, really? No, I. What what film could, could you be possibly talking about? I have no idea. No. Could it rhyme with, uh, uh, Stevens Bait? Oh, Stevens Bait. I love that film. Yeah. <laughs> Stevens Bait, a really underappreciated classic. You should give it a look. Uh, I know. John Hurt was in that, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't you mean uh, Bon Jert? No, I meant somebody else. Um, but here's the thing. But the, here's the thing, though. But So I knew <laughs> but that. here's the thing. Here, I knew that. And also, I had this impression going in before reading this. I had sort of been, I'm not, not to necessarily fed this version of events but i had the impression that the reason why empire strikes back is so great and that it's arguably the best film of the series is that it's the one that had the least involvement from lucas that he just kind of stepped back he gave them the story then lawrence kasdan and lee lee brackett wrote the script 
then Irvin Kirshner was the one who was the big visionary who he did directed. everything. Yeah, he was the director of the film. Um, he was much better with the actors and that Lucas didn't have any involvement with it. He was just kind of there like signing checks. That was a little bit of my impression. And also that Gary Kurtz, like, because then Gary Kurtz leaves after the empire strikes back. And even though the return of the Jedi is a really good movie, yeah. it, it's not quite, quality of the first two even though it's still really terrific it doesn't follow the same upward curve as empire strikes back did uh from new hope to empire strikes it's not back necessarily really trying to be something grander and possibly better than the first film right. it's just another star wars movie I, but the idea that george lucas had was totally hands-off in this film just isn't true no then that's what, what i appreciate about this book was that it really illuminated through a lot of events that he actually probably deserves more credit than he gets yeah like, certainly it, for this film yeah I mean, it's we you and i have tackled the mystery of what's the deal with george lucas what's the deal with george lucas and we got a little closer to that by reading the making of star wars i think we're gonna get closer to that by reading this book because yeah. you know as you said empire strikes back budget doubled the uh in the time it took to complete it and it eventually got to the point where George Lucas was financing the film himself with his profits from A New Hope. And That's he had right. lots of bank loans. And it got to the point where if this wasn't the best sequel ever made, he was yeah. never going to make that money back. Yeah, it's Lucas is always the character in both the first book and this one who is, you know, he, he's the one guiding the ship. He's the captain. He's the visionary. He, he basically knows how Star Wars works. Yeah. And yet but at he the same, also knows how to delegate. He also knows how to delegate, um, and I'll get into more of that in a little bit, but what's there's a lot of fa This is such a big, expansive book. Like, I can't decide which one I like more. Hmm. Like, the, it, it's... Because it, they're different, because they're different kinds of stories, even though they're about the same series. It's just that this one, like, learning about how he was tr setting up ILM as a much bigger company this time, as a real company. And again, as you said, using the profits from Star Wars to make himself completely independent. Because uh, he... It's funny because I'm, I'm also... This is a side note, but I'm, I'm reading right now an actual biography of George Lucas. Yeah. Uh, written by this guy, Brian J. Jones, who's a really good biographer. Um, and that is much more... That's more about the life and work of George Lucas. Yeah. And trying to get a little bit to know more about him and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and he, um, Lucas was a, a really inspired by Coppola. Like, it, I, and but from the biography, it almost gave me the sense that if Coppola had, if he hadn't met Coppola in like the late sixties, we might not have star Wars. We right. might not even have George Lucas as we know him. He might, he might've been like Stan Brackage or something. He would have been maybe like, or he might've been like Albert Mazel's one of these like, experimental documentary filmmakers or something because yeah. that was really his goal in film school and then coppa was like no you gotta be a filmmaker you gotta learn how to write and george lucas like it's eh, like no, well no, you're francis ford write. coppola yeah I'll but yeah to you. well but he yeah you're the godfather I'll, I'll listen to you and then he's like all right i'll learn how to write i'll learn how to write now early on in this in this book it was a little bit of... oh but the, but the point i was getting at though oh, is sorry. that Coppola wanted to try to create this empire early in, in the 60s. Like, he had this whole dream of creating American zo zoetrope. Right. Um, which ended up kind of crashing and burning in large part because of THX 1138, uh, which wasn't very successful. And there was a lot of back and forth. The, George Lucas and Coppola have had a lot of ups and downs. Like, they'll get back together, do American graffiti, then they'll have another falling out. 
then get back together again. <laughs> like, um, yeah. but, but the point is Lucas then tried to take that ethos and that was what one of his main guiding principle. He's like, I want to really take that dream Coppola had, but do it responsibly and make myself completely self-sufficient from Hollywood. And that's where the book starts off. Yes. I mean, Lucas is coming off the success of Star Wars, and he decides that he wants to make The Empire Strikes Back. But before he does that, he really wants to set up a framework for his operations. Yes. And this is where it gets a little... This is where the book can lose you. Maybe. Because it, it's yeah. kind of like... There is some minutia. Uh, it's a lot of business stuff. And I'm not saying they detail every facet of George Lucas's business dealings, but they do talk about setting up Lucasfilm and making it better uh, uh building uh, building ILM up every every new building that has to get made making deals for merchandising and things The like merchandising that. was kind of interesting yeah. to me. And it's kind of interesting although it does have this feel of if you think one way about movies then reading the early parts of this book is kind of like seeing how the sausage gets made. You do have to kind of get through it. I again me personally, I didn't have that problem. Right. But uh, I, I don't think it's a problem of interest. I mean, the book is well written, and I don't think that anything said no, in that part is, no, no, is, no. is that, not that, interesting. That's that's the key. What I am saying. That's though, the key is thing. That it, you can. That's the key thing. You don't I, get people lost. talk about you know big businesses, big studios. You talk about George Lucas becoming. You talk about Star Wars becoming this merchandise machine, and you see well, if if George Lucas was to be successful and Basically, what I'm trying to say is the success of Empire Strikes Back really owes itself to the building up of Lucas's business interests. Yeah, well, the thing, yeah, that's the thing is that, yeah, Star Wars itself was a big risk, but in a weird way, you could say, not weird way, just, just as you could just say, Empire Strikes Back was even even bigger risk, right? And because then, if it didn't work, then maybe he would have completely fell apart. Yeah. Like, if somehow, like, if Irvin Kirshner didn't deliver the goods, then, you know, if he turned in, like, a piece of garbage film that, you know, like, that couldn't be saved or something, and people didn't respond to it. Uh, and also the fact that, you know, even though, yeah, you're getting a lot of numbers early on, but that becomes important later when you find out about how the budget is getting out of control. Yeah, and then nowadays we think about big Hollywood blockbusters and, of course, the obligatory toy deals and all the promotions, but then you understand reading this book, those deals are not necessarily just to make money off toys. They are also to promote the film. Yes. Because prior to the release of Empire Strikes Back, a lot of sort of advertising was in this idea of, we have these toys out yes. for you. And if you want to see what these toys have to do with Star Wars, go see the film. Yeah. And it becomes, a, it's a real marketing ploy. And now I'm like, <laughs> oh, I get it now. Well, well, it was a weird thing because this, you know, uh, when people sometimes say Star Wars changed the industry, you have to kind of look at what industry they're talking about. It didn't change movies in the sense of necessarily making movies better, but it did change the business of marketing as far as... Like and there, there are a lot. There are a lot of examples that I think are even more egregious than Star Wars. Even though you can actually see the seeds of it happening in Empire Strikes Back, and I'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. But, but the fact that back then in 1977, nobody looked at really nobody looked at movies as viable options for creating toys based on them. Right. They just thought that well, the you're not going to make any money off the toy because 
the movie's going to come out, people see it, but then they'll forget about it. Right. Whereas Star Wars, though, it became such a huge thing. Um, it's and the weird. It's funny in the biography I was reading, he compared it. He thought early on in the Star Wars mania, he thought it could be like Davy Crockett. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Or it'd be like this craze where everybody got like their Davy Crockett hats. Yeah. Um, but no, it was to the point where uh, the book talks bre- a little bit about that quote, infamous uh, empty box campaign. Yeah. Where, you know, the demand for toys was so high, they did like a pre sale where you could get all of like, you could get some of the action figures, but you had to wait several months and the, they sold out immediately. Yeah, it, it was a stopgap feature. But it was basically because they all the toy companies who had signed deals did not anticipate how the success yeah. of Star Wars would make them lots of money. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting, though, is that Lucas did have some standards. Yes. Like, because there were a lot of people who were trying to come up to him to try to sell Star Wars in some ways that he just he thought he could have some quality control too yeah uh there's 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 a rule now that star wars does the star wars brand does not go on liquor Mm. although and yet i did i tell you about the uh the princess leia sex doll that's not a (laughs) carrie fisher owned it (laughs) you know in the end if god forbid someone made an Andrew right. sex doll. <laughs> oh, I want to think Part about of that. me would say, okay, let's All see right. where this goes. And here's the interesting, though. <laughs> what, what I was talking about as far as the toys being then tied in with the film in such a way that feels a little unsavory. I mean, uh, you get something like a lot of the Transformers movies. Some of the Transformers that are in there, they're only in there so they could sell the toys. Yes. And, like, and that's not just an exaggeration. They literally do that. Well... You also, that's a Transformers tradition. <laughs> yes. Going back to the 1980s. Whereas, it's funny that, um, I remember some time ago, I talked, my father-in-law, he brought up Star Wars. He's like, he's like, I'm a fan of Star Wars, and I like the movies. Like, Return of the Jedi, you know, yeah, the, you know, you could tell the Ewoks were just created to sell toys. But what's interesting, though, is that in the book, Boba Fett was basically created by George Lucas because he knew that he needed a Boba Fett action figure. I wouldn't say that. That's that what to it a said. point. No, and, and even even interest more crazy. He did it in large part, not in large part, but in a part because the Star Wars holiday special comes up in this book. <laughs> this it kind of has to. Hold up. All right, hold up. <laughs> because Boba Fett was in that. Yes. And 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 like by the, that, and, but. The toy company was asking Lucas, we need something to start to promote. But Boba Fett had existed before then. It wasn't like the toy company said, just pull something out of your ass. And he said, Boba Fett. No, but, no, he, but as he was Fett writing the exi- script, but as he was writing the script, he was kind of conceiving him as, well, this will be kind of a cool guy to make his action figure of. Yeah, but Boba Fett, you would, you could. I mean, he didn't know how big it, he was going to get. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's a little more to Boba Fett than just a toy ploy, I'd say. The, I, he the, starts the, out like, the seed of it is there. Could you I concede that? I didn't get. I can't say in my reading like, of this book that I agree with that. Huh? I be, because they talk about Boba Fett like he, he his design existed before the character did. Did he it? Was, he was supposed to be like the Boba Fett armor was supposed to be like this kind of stormtrooper called the super trooper. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And okay. it's like the Super Troopers kind of fell by the wayside because the script changed. It was a very early draft. Yeah. And, you know, and again, the thing... We thought Star Wars changed so much in the drafting process. This Empire changed quite a bit. Strikes Back changes a great deal as well. Yeah. And, you know, to, you don't recognize it when you first see it. But there's... But Boba Fett, he, he like his his design existed. The oh, actually, co-created by Joe Johnston. Right, Joe Johnston did a lot of things. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah he pops up a lot in this book because he's a big part of Star Wars. Right. Um. I no no the the let me put it this way. Lucas he didn't necessarily. All right, he, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. He didn't necessarily create Boba Fett to sell a toy, but he was conscious that it could be sold as a toy. Okay. Well, that I would just chalk that up to business sense. Yeah, I mean, but I guess the idea. But, but, but yeah, again, but, but again, this ties in also a little bit with the Star Wars holiday special. Well, that you have this new character, and well, there are certain characters from that that didn't really sell well. <laughs> Who wants an Art Carney action figure? <laughs> oh man, let me tell you. If someone sold... I'm dying laughing because I'm just I'm just picturing if they sold the the, the the if they sold a collection of action figures which were based on the characters from the Star Wars Holiday Special is that yes. what's killing you right now? No, no, not even more than that. Just the uh, the the Grandpa Wookie yeah. as he's like you can get him sitting in the chair Watching where he. That <laughs> Watching that hologram juggler thing, or the no, 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 that was the kid. No, I mean where he's watching the video of the of the woman yeah. who's giving him like the <laughs> masturbation fantasy. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're confused right now, I don't blame you. We gotta. I think we gotta cut a little bit. So we can no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I just, I, I just. Uh, all right. Okay. I'm calm now. If you've seen All the right. Star Wars holiday special, you might get what I'm talking about. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, the little bit of the script. Speaking of which, Lee Brackett had nothing to do with this movie, really. I mean, she wrote the first draft, and tr I see. I didn't know that. I thought she was a little bit more involved with the script, but then ultimately, no. like, because I thought early on years ago, and this is going back when I was like a kid. I was like, oh, wow, so that's how you knew that this script was good, because they got, like, the, the woman who was involved with the big sleep and uh, the long goodbye and all that kind of stuff. No. No, she wrote a script that was kind of bad. Yeah. It, like, not necessarily bad, but it didn't get Star Wars. No, and and George Lucas didn't like it. He kind of passed on it. But then, and, and then, then she died. She dies, Ugh. and George Lucas just decides to credit her but uh, it's 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 know. interesting point because sometimes George Lucas, you get the sense he's kind of like this curmudgeonly guy who can't really get along with people. But he could be generous and maybe yeah. almost too generous because reading this book, yeah, he he could have easily given himself a screenwriting credit. Yeah. He didn't. He gave himself story by screenplay by Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan. I, I think that's something we've learned that George Lucas is not easy to pin down. No, uh, he, mean, he can be a bit. He can be a control freak. Yeah, but he also at time also then will let people have their own control. Yeah, but and George Lucas is not. He is not showy in. 
there's the thing about George Lucas. You know, usually he he he's not a great actors director. He only really tell, gives the actors advice when they're doing something he doesn't want them to do. Yeah, which is can be infuriating. I mean, uh, it's 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 a method. I mean. I but, think it, it. Sometimes it depends on what the actor is looking for. I mean, Harrison Ford has talked about like, you know, Lucas's whole method was just do it, just do it. It's it's on the page. Just do it. And, more intense, uh, faster, more intense. Um, <laughs> was that a story from the last book we read where it was like George Lucas was like out for a day, and so they just put a sign on his seat that said "faster"? And no, more no, no, no. What I think you're thinking of is that he he lost his voice. I think at one point. Yeah. And I think they gave that to him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but George Which is kind of sad because occasionally he would give directions to his actors. Like Carrie right. Fisher has this story, um, which in her way was made to be kind of funnier. This I is forget. not from the book, by the way. I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's from the making of Star Wars book. It might have actually been from her book about Star Wars. Right. Um, but actually, like, because she did the scene with uh, Tarkin. Right, you know, and you know where she, he's gonna—he's threatening to blow up Alderaan, and I guess in the, a take like Carrie Fisher wasn't really taking it that seriously, and George Lucas actually pulled her aside and was like, "Look, you're everybody on your planet is gonna die, and you, you need to, you know, it's not something you could joke about. It's it's really serious. And you should just and <laughs> it's a really simple direction, but." Well, the, that's all you need. Well, the thing that we read in the last book is that it was hard for Carrie Fisher to be aggressive towards Peter Cushing because he was such a nice guy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, say what you will about the dialogue in Star Wars. It comes off well in in the movie, but it's hard to say sometimes. Right. But, and, you know, uh, and, you know she, uh, it, that's tough. So eventually he did have to take yeah, her aside get, and be like, this is the thing. To get For Lucas's credit in this case, he, he, re he recognized, okay, I want somebody who can really work with actors and take what I've written down and, and go with that. And, you know, he trusted Kirshner in that way. Um, and it's not just that he, d he just wants somebody else to do it. It's just, he's got so much other stuff to do. Yeah. Like he, he, I, he, he's a good, like, you know, and I'll, I'll get a little bit more into how I almost feel like not necessarily that he, I want to go as far as to say he ultimately co-directed the movie, but he was more involved than I expected. Yeah. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, how did Kirshner come off to you? He comes off well. Sometimes he comes off in interesting ways. Well, not, I don't want to keep using the word interesting. Um, I, the thing with Irvin Kirshner is that I don't. He's a little complex. He he is a complex person. He works. The thing that sticks out about me when we're talking about Kirshner in this book is that whole section which deals with the carbonite scene. Yeah, they. Uh, That's the centerpiece of this book. When uh, when they were shooting that scene where Han Solo gets frozen, the actors were miked at the time because there was a uh, there was a journalist there who wanted to kind of be in on the on the the scene and yes. see how the actors were working. So the <clears throat> so everybody agreed to wear these microphones and and be well, I don't know if all of them did. I think Kirshner did a lot. Of, yeah, I Kirsch, think... Kirshner was wearing the microphone, and I think he picked up whoever he was talking to. Okay, that makes a little more sense. Yeah, uh, only him. And it's and you know we don't appreciate this because we see that scene and it's over. Yeah, but a lot of thought went into that. He he really thought out everything as far as the motivations of every character. He thought about it's not just about what. You know, because every actor is asking him, okay, well, what am I doing in this scene? 
What's my how, thought process? How, how, how does my character feel? What are they thinking? How am I going to happen? Yeah, how am I connecting from the last scene? And also the fact of, you and, know, a very key dialogue change. Yes. Which, you know, it, to me, that was... There are a few moments in this in the, reading this book where uh, making this movie almost seems more closer to how... Like how movies I picture were done in the 70s, where there was a little bit of a looser feel on set as far as, well, you know, yeah, I don't really like this line so much. Can I try it a different way? Can I make up this line? And, and Kirshner is personally involved in a lot of the actors. He takes his time yeah. to really discuss with them and so when they're all together they are serious about what they're doing a producer with a story needs a director a man who will turn that story into film now he is likely to be offered a fee plus a percentage of any profits director for the empire is Irvin Kirshner that share of the action is a strong incentive to stay within budget I think you uh, you must be aware of the economics of the business um, being sloppy can cost a million dollars. Um, not taking, uh, not doing your homework can cost a million dollars. Um, being wasteful can cost two or three million dollars. Yeah, they're very serious. They're asking questions. Interesting split between how Harrison Ford gets to talk to Irvin Kirshner versus Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Because Carrie Fisher, you could almost sense, and now maybe this was her perception of it it felt like maybe she wasn't being told some certain things where like harrison ford had more time with kirshner than well, she did do you know what i mean like mm. the she because she kind of in like those transcripts was coming up to him be like why why didn't you why didn't you guys tell me about like what you're talking about that oh, you yeah. want to do in this scene there are times yeah i mean kirshner has this extended conversation with harrison ford in the dressing that's room. where they come up that's where harrison ford comes up with saying i know yeah uh, instead of uh like because originally the line i think wasn't i love you too that was actually that's actually a misconception right that's often the, the 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 told story is that she says i love you and you're supposed to say i love you too his line was actually uh i'll be I'll, don't worry i'll be back or right. count on it and they didn't want to do that because they still weren't sure if harrison ford was going to come back for the third movie <laughs> uh harrison ford was a little bit dicey on that so Harrison Ford came up with, I know, which um, they were a little nervous about. Yeah. But, and maybe for good reason, because they said that when they first screened the film, that got a laugh. Yeah. When I watch the film, I don't, do you find that funny? I never thought about it, really. It's just like, he's, she says, I love you, I know. To and me, seems... it actually feels dramatic. It can't. It, you can read it that way, but you know, as as a it's, kid, it's Harrison Ford. As oh, a, no, no, I mean Han Solo. I I I basically draw on my experiences seeing this film for the first time as a kid, and it just it happened. They said the line, and that was not the most important part of the film for me. That was just you know the way they read it, and it never stuck out into my mind until people started talking about the line yeah. and saying how cool it was. And you yeah. know, there's a lot to say about that. It never was a thing like, oh, remember when Harrison Ford said, "I know." Yeah. You know, <laughs> man. So talking about the development of this of that scene, by the way, and the transcription. Yeah, I had a full. I was laughing for like five minutes straight about something that happens. I, do you know what I'm talking about? Where Carrie Fisher is talking to Irvin Kershner and uh, Billy D. Williams, uh -huh. and they're trying to work out like, you know, well, am I, you know, because Carrie Fisher's asking, am I just kind of standing there? Am I trying to am i saying anything to to lando like what was what, what this going on like well we, let's work something out and 
And he's like, well, maybe you hit, well, maybe I hit you. Okay, well, well, well let's see that. And she smacks Billy D. Williams really hard. And he's like, ah, you hit me. I know. And like, no, you don't do that. My I love that so much. I was just, that was like a moment out of like a, uh, like a mockumentary when you have actors on set and something really Bad. You hit me. You told me to hit you. But not like that. Yeah. But an unintentional comic moment. My my feeling during that whole that whole chapter was there was an intensity. To the, it. No, well, it is intense because you appreciate the fact that these people are How really much, working hard to well, especially get this right. well, especially Kirshner. But for me emotionally that whole thing was I just do the scene. I just <laughs> You're you're kind of getting a little impatient with the filmmaking process. Yeah, uh, this is why I'm not a director. Yeah, because uh, you'd have <laughs> to think about This is the only reason I'm not a director. No, but it's, uh, I, and I think about it now, and I, I understand it. It's just like, but in my brain, it's like, no, do it like the thing. Do the thing. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah, and that's the... uh, and that was the uh, that was the trouble for me. But then, y y you do really get this look into. I it's a scene that's like two minutes long. It's a pivotal scene. It is pivotal too, and it's really important. And also, there's you know, yeah, there's my memory of the scene and how quick it was and how it was done. And then there's the act. You have to conf I have to confront the actual fact that people had to put thought into it and then really make it work. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that I think so little about how it was done, I think, really shows how well they. Did. It's it's a microcosm about how difficult it is to make a film it's it's that old stanley kubrick had a line that like you know that that making movies sometimes is like uh writing war and peace while riding in bumper cars well let's talk about stanley kubrick because apparently oh yeah yeah he stanley he kind of he kind of he, he kind of fucks up this production stanley kubrick <laughs> not not him necessarily but that the shining the sh stanley kubrick was shooting the shining on this in the same yeah studio that Empire Strikes Back was going to be yeah, in London. on. And a this separate... is after they filmed all the stuff in Norway. Uh, I think it was happening just... It was either just after that or around the same time. Norway is its own set of problems. Yes, we'll, we'll get into that too. But he's, uh, Kubrick is filming The Shining at the, at the same time. And not only is he taking a long time, but then the sets catch fire. Well, well, well I think that the... the him taking time wasn't the issue, like because eventually they knew that they were going to get the set. It burning it, the set burning down was Along the with nightmare. The building is bad. Yeah, the, the building burned down too. So now all of a sudden, oh, we we don't have that. We can't use that space anymore. Now we're going to have to scramble and try to make up that. Yeah. And that that put a lot more pressure on on the production. It's a really big reason why Empire Strike Back was so over schedule. Uh, yeah, overscheduled because they also had all these multiple units, which yeah. means that you know you have your what's called an A unit, uh, which is filming the main action. Then you have your B unit, and then you sometimes even have C and D units. Um, I think actually during the making of Star Wars, near the end of that shoot, they they had to end by a certain point, and Lucas ended up having like three different units going on and was yeah. bicycling between them. Um, and with this. I think part of, it's it's an interesting problem because Kirshner, he was in his mind he was trying to make the best movie that he could make, but he had his own way of thinking about it. Yeah. Sometimes he would just 
spend so much time thinking. And Lucas, I think, at a certain point, was like, just do it. Just shoot it. Just do it. Do it. Do the scene. Yes. Pull the string. Pull the string. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's and, pretty... And now, there's also... The one thing that also comes up is that Kurtz... You know, I I had the impression years ago, again, this this misguided impression that Kurtz was really like the soup was a real super creative guiding force in the mo- for the movie. Not so much. I mean, he was a producer. He was there, but he was trying to manage p- people. But then he ended up contributing to the problem. Maybe I uh, there was so much else going on in this story that I didn't have time to mentally track what Kurtz. Was yeah, doing he he got a little bit lost in the shuffle just because you're you're trying to keep up with the book is talking about the actors. They're talking about the special effects team at ILM, which is on. In, in California. Yeah. That's on another continent. Uh, then you have what Kirshner's dealing with. Then you have what Lucas is dealing with. There are so many strands and in so this much book. Of that, and so much of what Lucas is doing is about setting up his business, building Skywalker Ranch, and yeah. basically negotiating bank loans yeah to get all this stuff done I mean, and you understand reading this why george lucas didn't direct empire strikes back because he had so much other stuff to do just to make sure that he could make empire strikes back well we'll make it the way that he wanted i mean in theory he could have uh done it in a slightly similar way that he did with star wars but he was uh you know he had the temperament of you know i don't want to give the studio any more money than they should they they right. they didn't believe in the first movie, so why should I reward them more? I want to control everything that I'm doing, and I don't want them meddling in my cut. Yeah. And so, you know, and he so, had to do this, but it also created these problems where when the the the, the, the production went over budget, and it caused, a, you know, what, what's the bank going to do? And right. that becomes its own drama. Yeah. A, a, a small part of it, but, you know, one of the many problems that com- that uh, confronts this production. Well, it, it, I didn't appreciate, I think when I was younger, how much more ambitious, like, as far as the technical aspects of the film, how much more ambitious it was. Like, as a younger person seeing Empire Strikes Back, I was just like, oh yeah, this is more, this is grander than the first film. It has some more story and stuff, but it's still <laughs> Star Wars. And the thing that apparently gives them the most problem problems is that opening shot of the Tauntaun walking across the snow. Yeah, like the little things, like that that Tauntaun, they they can't get that right. Phil Tippett comes is one of the heroes of this book to me. Mm. Him and uh, Dennis Murin, the, yeah. the ILM people, uh, that like Phil Tippett's the the guy who did a lot of the stop motion effects. Um, you know, he he, he and uh, Murin were also they they spent a lot of time making sure that they could get the Imperial Walkers yeah. getting to go. That was its own uh, fascinating struggle. Uh, and then also let's talk about Norway for a second because that <laughs> that was its own adventure. Yeah, I <laughs> because mean... they're going into Norway and they want they need these clear conditions to shoot in and not happening. No, it's like the worst blizzard they've had in over fifty years. And it's 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 uh, it's funny because then Lucas I think at one point remarks, uh, "Yeah, you're now going through what I went through on uh, in Tunisia." Yeah. <laughs> and when you know when the actors get back they all have these shadows under their eyes which are really frostbite from uh yeah. being out in the snow they brought in harrison ford because it's just like well we now can do this scene 
let's bring Harrison Ford here. And he, he came in by himself. Yeah. Uh, uh, takes the train north and just get and gets there. It, uh, braving mega blizzard conditions. Yeah. And they got him for basically one scene. That one moment where, um, Har- where Han Solo finds Luke. And basically, yeah, shooting it in the middle of a blizzard. <laughs> and again, the fact and, and how they had to wait around for so long, and they got maybe half a day where things cleared up and tried to shoot as much as they could. Yeah. Um, and yeah, shooting in those sub freezing conditions. And basically, the whole crew is like. They're they're just like lined up for their food and stuff, and they say. And there's one part that sticks out to me. It's like no one can complain because once one person starts complaining, everybody starts complaining, and the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, they have to keep up some semblance of being positive. Yeah, so so eventually they form this really great com like well not great because they're just kind of desperate. They form this camaraderie. Camaraderie, you know, Mark Hamill is there. And you have the whole crew and, you know, a few extras and it's just like, you know, stunt people and it's like they're all in the middle of the Norwegian mm. wilderness just trying yeah. to get these shots. Yeah. And it's like, we can do Boy. this, man. We're going to do it. Mark Hamill. Yeah. There's an actor who... Well, Mark Hamill worked his ass off on this book. Oh, you know, one of the one of the great things about this book, one of the reasons why it's a must read, it, it made me realize I had... For a long time, been underrating Mark Hamill in this movie. Mm. Uh, there, because it's it's easy to say, "Oh, I love The Empire Strikes Back," but <clears throat> you know, you end up loving it when at least when I was younger for a lot of other reasons. You love it for Yoda. You love it for how impressive the whole spectacle is on Hoth. Uh, you know, just how everything is building up and all the plot threads are coming together. Right. But then you have somebody like Mark Hamill who is spending the majority of this movie acting across from a puppet. Yes. Acting with nothing on set except for, you know, Frank Oz, who isn't even... I didn't even know he wasn't talk, wasn't doing the Yoda voice really on set. Mm. He dubbed that in later. Yeah. That, that surprised me. I thought that, like all the Muppets, like they did their voices on set. But not really, not in this and, case. And even Yoda is a struggle to make. Because... Yoda becomes its own thing that... As they, I think they did. They, I think they mentioned in the book that if Yoda didn't work, then the movie might have not worked. Yeah, if he looks too much like a puppet, then he's a puppet. Yeah, and and, and uh, it it didn't work until they had him on set in front of the camera, yeah. and then the magic just kind of came there. Yeah, the fact that also Stuart Freeborn designed Yoda on how he looked. Yeah, it that's a, that's a really good story about the creation of Yoda. Yeah. And you know, you don't even think of that because Yoda is such a it has such a nuanced design. Mm. And he's so well put together. It's hard to think of him as just like a puppet. Yeah. Nowadays we have, you know, the CG Yoda, which we don't really think about much and, you know, say what you will about computer graphics, you know. It, it whether how how things look are different now. At the time that I first saw Attack of the Clones, I was one of those I don't know if I'd say I was mindless, but I I was one of those people that saw Yoda whip out the lightsaber and get into that fight with Christopher Lee, and I was like, "Whoa, yeah, that's so great!" Yeah. And now I think back on that, Jack, and I'm like, "You're a fool." <laughs> um, back to Mark Hamill for a second, though. He yeah. is such a trooper throughout this whole thing. Yeah, he, spends... he tries to put so he tries to keep up 
be positive and be such like a he because he, he loves this series so much it's different than how harrison ford and carrie fisher like they're kind of having fun but they're also still they're still a little bit like well now i'm these people i gotta do this right. but mark hamill just sincerely loves this series yeah and, and then seeing his spirit break down bit by bit <laughs> until he finally snaps yeah. is just fascinating because he, uh, he he cause he ends up breaking his thumb i think yeah he, he does like just like this scene where he just like has to get out of a, a spaceship he falls the wrong way and he breaks his thumb and they didn't really need him for that, possibly. They could have possibly. gotten a stump double, gotten maybe. Stump. And then just these people were trying to come up to his trailer, and he just exploded. Mm. And people were like, wow, Mark Hamill did that? Yeah. And, <laughs> but, you know, he was training all the time. I mean, when he's doing a handstand, that's Mark Hamill doing a handstand. He did 90% or more of the stunts in this movie. The only stunt I don't think he did was when he uh, flew out from, behind, like, the, the broken window in... Uh, when he's right. fighting Vader, yeah, but he did all the fighting with he Vader. Worked out. He he he, he did, did he, those sword he did fighting the... routines over and over again, and you know sometimes he lost the temper his temper because he wasn't like sure when he'd finally be shooting, and he just he just like there were a lot of delays. Stuff. Yeah, and you know he he's getting frustrated, but eventually he just gets back up and starts doing it again, and it's actually really important to note this. I mean, think about how few scenes there are between. Those two sets of characters between Luke and between Han and Le and Han and Leia. How often do they meet in that film? They're 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 there. They're, 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 the, they're in the opening, and then just a tiny bit at the end, briefly at the end, and then it's the same thing for the shooting. Star Wars, they were with each other the whole time. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back, they do most of their shooting separately. So yeah. So part of that so that camaraderie is missing for them. the camaraderie is missing i mean luke has the the crew but that's not it's not the same thing as having somebody to act off it's not you know there's no al guinness no and uh it's funny when al guinness shows up he's just like i'm here for a day check right <laughs> it's funny though that they, and they didn't know that if he was going to show up yeah it's funny that they didn't know if he would actually do it i mean it, it was kind of <laughs> iffy I, it was such a small thing. Who would be, you know, it, it would be like, well, why wouldn't you come back? He has like five lines in the movie. Yeah. But, you know, I think the part of the thing was he was he was ill at the time. Yeah. Not seriously, but he had a problem with his voice and he couldn't quite speak well. And so he's just like, I don't know if I can do it yeah. because I'm sick. But, you know, it, it's so great that he came back mm -hmm. and finally did and, and did it. Yeah. One thing I think that's interesting to note is... Okay the whole problem with david prouse <laughs> david prouse is the he, he's is the actor, the inside, actor darth vader. inside of darth vader and 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 if if you were to watch uh you if you look online like they, they feature briefly in empire of dreams how on set he would still act out the lines he would have to say them and they called him darth farmer yeah because <laughs> he had a uh like a welsh he has accent. This, this country accent which yeah it makes him uh it's like if uh it's like if uh hannibal lecter had a southern accent hmm. <laughs> kind of like that maybe a little bit uh but yeah david prouse like they actually were they were act someone was counting up how many leaks were going from the set and they, you know they have like carrie fisher one mark hamill one david prouse nine yes and and, and this is at a time too where even though you didn't have the internet but you had 
sci-fi magazines you had fan interest in a new star wars movie and david prowse can't keep his damn mouth shut yeah and it ends up uh, they, they punish him for it yeah and it's and the reason he is so talkative about what's going on has to do with a lot do you of, think he's insecure no it's not insecurity the part of the problem is david prowse because by then david he had prowse, to know that he was going to be dubbed it was he didn't know by, it by the, the end time. of star wars david prowse found, finds out that they're going to replace his voice i towards the end of uh, with james earl jones and he goes into empire strikes back knowing that but he also goes in with this knowledge that aside from his physical presence there's very little reason for him to be there hmm so unless unless you know aside from that i guess he he's i think it's mentioned in the book that well you'll you'll be known as darth david prowse as darth vader yeah but but that's not enough well to a certain extent no because it it is a little bit of insecurity because it's you know think about how much of david prowse is in that i mean he's certainly acting he's certainly doing his best in there but how much of what david prowse does gets seen in the film star wars yeah and so he goes in there with this knowledge of almost his how inconsequential he is Mm. and but then all these people from different fan magazines come up to him and say can you tell us something about star wars yeah basically that's his chance to kind of feel... Trying to put himself out there. He's trying to put himself out there, but it's also... Uh, the way I feel it is, it's, it's him trying to be important. Mm, yeah. And, you know, you understand his view, because he's contributing a lot, and he, I don't think he felt like he was being recognized enough, because you don't see his face, you don't hear his voice. Everything David Prowse does is part of... It's the, physical. It's, part, it's physical, but it's also just... It's nothing that you really see. Well, it, it, it's interesting to contrast that with uh, R2-D2. Yeah. Kenny Baker doesn't have that attitude. He's just, hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm happy to do this work. He's getting work. His partner is getting work. Yeah. And he know, he's like, this is the business. This is what I can do. He accepts that he, you know, people don't care too much about Kenny Baker. They care about R2-D2. David Prowse. He had a little bit more of an ego about himself. Yes. I, I remember, I think in passing, he mentions to somebody on set, it might have been Lucas or one of the actors, oh, by the way, I have a new bodybuilding book out now. Oh, I thought that was Peter Mayhew who said that. No, I think that was Prowse. Because David Prowse was like a bodybuilder type. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think Peter Mayhew was a... Was that? I, I may have... Well, also, that's another actor, Peter Mayhew... You know, I mean, there could have been anybody in that costume. Well, except that Peter Mayhew is really big. Yeah, right. Well, he's tall. Well, David Prowse is tall, too. Yeah, I, I mean, that's why they get the job. It's just, you know, how many tall people are there. But but the point is, David Prowse, he gets all these leaks. His punishment is not being told that Darth Vader's Luke's father. Right. And Which then was it, the right thing to do. After doing all that, yes, if he had been maybe more of a mature person... And not been so giving out leaks because, uh, you know, it, it, Star Wars had so much hype around it. He, you know, he had to have known that. And I, yeah, as you said, complicated guy because he wants to do his job well. He doesn't think he's being recognized. Actors have, you know, it, it's clear. And it's mentioned in the book, I think, with other people. Actors have insecurity. Right. 
you know, they're insecure all the time. I that's mean, part if they're of doing what, a good job. That's part of what Carrie Fisher, I think, felt when they were working on that scene. It's like, well, you talked to Harrison Ford. Why didn't you talk to me? Well, she's having insecurity through a lot of it. Like, there's a mention, she mentions at one point that she can't really tell you what kind of character Princess Leia fully is. Mm-hmm. Like, she can't tell you, like, I guess she could say her favorite color is white. but she can't really list make a list of her likes and dislikes yeah you know she's more of a type and she just has to kind of fulfill that type the best way she can and carrie fisher does an amazing job but in that i guess in that way you know she's she's the only female character there so that probably adds to that insecurity yeah and then you just uh, and then you have and we're not and she's not talking about this in retrospect, she's talking about it at the moment yeah. when you don't know how things are going to turn out. Also, again, they didn't know how this could turn out if the pressure on this movie. Yeah. That's emphasized in the book quite a bit. The fact that on the first movie, well, we're doing this fun little movie. It will be what it will it be. It will be what will be. The only person who didn't, as Carrie Fisher once said, the only person who didn't know it was going to be a, a big movie was George Lucas. Right. Um, that's the joke, anyway. Uh, but in this movie, no, they, they were all like, the pressure's on. Yeah. If this isn't not only as good as the first one, but possibly better, then we're, we're out of jobs. Yes. Uh, and ultimately, I, and everybody does their job. Unfortunately, this is around the time that Carrie Fisher started to get into the drugs. They mentioned that briefly. I don't yeah. think they mentioned necessarily how deep it was. No, but... Maybe it was is... just starting. Well... It was starting. I mean, they they cite Carrie Fisher. They do. They do <laughs> to, to say, yeah, this is the time. That she was she was doing some pharmaceuticals. Yeah. they mentioned that. And you know, sometimes she she really felt uh, Ill. Ill. She got sick a lot. But you know, it wasn't because she was ill. It was because she was suffering the after effects of yeah of all of all that party. Did you do you remember the stuff. story where they talk about how Carrie Fisher and it might have been even Harrison Ford or a couple other people. And they're hanging out one night with Eric Idle yeah. and a couple other people. And they're doing, they're taking this weird drink. And then the next day on set, everybody's really happy. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're still feeling the effects of the high. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, but let me go back now to George Lucas. Because, yeah, the, the, the production starts to get a little bit out of control. Not necessarily due any, to anybody, one person's fault. No. There are a lot of things that come together to end up making it, it it's like, about the delay it's about the severe weather in norway it's the severe weather in the norway set, the burn set kirshner has his own process that is not as fast as lucas would want he's doing good work but he's not doing it quickly he's doing good yeah good work not quickly done i think they even mentioned at one point uh no no i'm thinking of a different thing i'm thinking of uh there was this brief uh, harry plinkett red layer media review of rogue one and they mentioned about you can do things fast, cheaply, and good. You can only do two of those. Yeah, you know, which which are you gonna take? And um, but you know, and Kirshner wanted to make it good, but it took a little bit more time. He had a little bit more of an unconventional style than Lucas, who just kind of sets up cameras everywhere yeah. and then chooses his shots and editing. Um, and all this leads up to by the time that they're shooting uh, the Dagobah set. Lucas is really there more so than before. Like there are little yeah. moments, there are little moments here and there he, where he comes to visit, to he check comes, up on things. He comes then, to, vi- he comes he, to visit and you get different points. 
it's it's an interesting thing because I keep using the word interesting. I gotta stop that. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, I, interesting. Interesting. The most interesting man. Mm. Uh, what? But he. What he, stands out? At times, Lucas will come to set. You might get a sense maybe he he he's trying to just be supportive. They mentioned maybe in a subtle way. I might wanted might I might have done something a little different. Yeah, but, but I'm he, not going to say anything. But he's never obnoxious. He's about not obnoxious it. about he, he's it. Like when he's on set, he's not over Kirshner's shoulder. He's not down his. He's not breathing down his neck. He's there almost as a fan. He, he's there, gu- guiding his. He he's there as a guiding force. And he's also there probably just to see how things are going. Yeah, it is his movie. He, yeah, he's the he's the executive producer. But when when it starts to wrap. When we get close to the end, and you know they're doing all the Dagobah scenes, which come at the end, uh, he's basically there for an extended stay. Yeah, and that's where it feels like he's more involved, and not necessarily directing the scenes, but he does have more of a. He has more input. He has more input. Uh, you know, and, and granted, and for good reason because they they were already, what was it like fifty days over schedule? Yeah. And, you know, it, it was a super long shoot. Lucas was like, just try to do as fast as you can. Come on. Come on. We're burning. Because he had a lot of money going yeah. on. And, uh, and 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 I don't think Kirshner really knew about that either. Well, I... I or maybe he had a little bit of a sense of it, but not to the extent that he really knew. Well, the director isn't supposed to... It's he's not just supposed direct, to, He's supposed to just focus on... Sorry. Yeah. He, I'm talking he, over you. Sorry. He he he's not supposed to necessarily be worrying about that. That's for the producer. That's for the owner of the company. Yeah. I mean, they they are supposed to keep him uh, updated on that, and I doubt that he was ignoring it. It's just he's trying to do the best job he can. I mean, George Lucas has asked him to do this, and so so he has faith in him. Yeah. But it's that moment of you know Lucas wants this thing to go a little faster. Kirshner's doing his best, so Lucas is there basically to to help him along yeah uh, but and now, you know from the way he he, talk, he talks about it you know, Kirshner has nothing bad to say about George Lucas no he doesn't I actually there's a quote that I wanted to pull up about that um that I that I really liked that he said um because he says I feel that George Lucas is a conceptual artist in a very profound way that doesn't necessarily mean that his work is profound I wouldn't attempt to judge it but he is an artist he is unique in what he does. And... Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of sums him up not too badly. Now, well, I was about to get to where borderline, I almost felt like, is Lucas, in a way, co-director, is post-production. Because hmm. he really takes control in that in that section of the book. Right. I'd be like, he, he really is trying to supervise so many things. He's literally telling the editors, okay, trim this section. You gotta trim these frames. You gotta make this number. Yeah. And so Kirshner is not really involved in that point. No. Um, and so I mean, that, that he's ma- not necessarily director that in that makes, sense. That but makes Lucas more of an editor. Yeah, more of an editor. He he's an and, uncredited and people editor. People say on that movies. that's where George Lucas's true genius lies. Yeah, in creating this movement that you know, as he because he kept telling people when he kept telling his editing team when they were making Star Wars faster more intense and that no but that time it made sense yeah because it really needs to be faster more intense because you really need to get wrapped up in the action and that's why people who see star wars the original star wars films 
they move in a way and are cut in such a way that they have an intensity that to me rivals a lot of action movies. Where was that speed and intensity when we got to the prequels? Uh, I think that was when middle age set in. <laughs> I don't know. Um, little, there, little, little interesting anecdotes that happened in this book, by the way, when, um, like they had to reshoot this really short moment, uh, where on Hoth, the, these few soldiers are descri just describing this quick thing, like, all fighters are going to assemble and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And they pulled in uh, Ray Ron, uh, Macquarie and Joe Johnston and yeah. put said, all right, you're going to act in the scene. I'm like, well, really? Yeah. Sure. And they shot that, reshot that scene. Yeah, nice. Um, but you were about to say something. Uh, another thing, just to kind of wrap up Kirshner a bit, he uh the film gets released it's a big success but he has a sort of bitter note to put in at the end of that well it's not it's well it's because well he gets questioned by the media about was it really your movie and he has yeah. to kind of defend himself on that yeah i mean people don't really give didn't at the time give him his due because they didn't really understand how much how involved he was in the film i mean it was always a george lucas film it's and always it's like they weren't paying attention when the credits came up directed it, by Irvin Kirshner. It's it's a tricky thing because think about for for comparison's sake uh like the early Disney movies. Right. Uh the Disney animated films. The, technically those films have directors yeah. credited to them, but we always think of them as Walt Disney film productions. Right. We always think of them as Walt Disney films. He's not the director of them, but he's the one calling the shots. But we never give the credit to the directors on those films. Right. I can't tell you who directed Snow White. Yeah. it's <laughs> But that is a different situation where... I almost where, know who directed Sleeping Beauty, but I don't remember his last name. Not Wolfgang Reitherman. It was, I think, maybe Ben Sharpstein? No, no, that was... But you see? Else. But yeah, <laughs> I, I get these names confused because they had so many animators. And obviously in those films, you had people with vision creating things but ultimately disney was the guiding hand now when you're dealing with something like empire strikes back lucas is the guiding hand again but you have even more voices you have more auteurs so yeah. to speak than even in the first film because we talked about lot in the last episode a year ago about the contributions of john williams of uh, john dykstra uh, richard edland uh even harrison ford was his Brian own auteur to a certain extent <laughs> In a tiny way, yes. In a tiny, yeah. I mean, he he he, did he, he 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 rewrote the opening crawl and said, "This is garbage." Yeah. <laughs> no, no. My favorite quote from Brian De Palma on after he saw the first cut of Star Wars is like, "What is this for shit? Yeah. Why doesn't anybody bleed?" <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "I'll show you. <laughs> I'll go make Scarface." <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't need your space opera. I'll make my own space opera. Yeah. With bleeding. Uh, well, and with no well, forces at all. Well, his space fact, opera didn't turn out very well. Yeah. Mr. Mark. Anyway, so I'm trying to think of more things I want to say about this book. There's Listen, we can't talk about everything in this no, book. No, we can't. We'll be here and all night. there's so much to this book. I mean, it's so thorough, but it's never bogged down. No. It, it keeps moving. If It will take you a little time to read it. Now, the other thing, too, just like the first book chock full of 
so many great pictures, yeah. so many great drawings. So much concept art, so much behind-the-scenes foot photography. You not only get to read about the process of filmmaking, you see it. Yeah. You see how all of the designs went. You see how Yoda went through so many changes when he was called Minch Yoda. Yeah. Which is a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When... Um, I think even Boba Fett went through a few changes, I guess. Yeah, um, the uh, I think they even bring up more American graffiti a couple of times because <laughs> that was uh, Lucas's first. Uh, he kind of knew with that. Well, eh, what can I do? Right, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I that's not even the type now. Of there's thing a hands-off project. <laughs> You're never gonna get a book about the making of more American graffiti. You know what? Don't be surprised. Coming soon to a bookstore near you. The wages of cinema is going to write, just to spite everybody, <laughs> the, the the definitive book on more American graffiti. It'll make... I'd his... imagine all those people, like, most of those people are probably still alive. Do you think anyone's been clamoring at their doors for interviews? I think Ron Howard would just slam the door in our face. He'll be like, why? Listen, Ron Howard, you got nothing else going on. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna do this. What, what are you gonna do? Narrate another season of Arrested Development? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but no, again, and, and just like the first book, a lot of details about the release of the film too. Oh, I wanted to mention this before I forget. This gave me an idea for the most insane project that we could ever do. Good. Well, should I mention it? Yes. Okay. They mention it's just a brief mention when they're talking about when they the, the release of the film and how many people are going to see it. it. Empire Strikes Back ended up becoming such a big success that at the time, the only reason it wasn't the highest grossing film of all time was because Jaws and Star Wars were above it. Yeah. Um, but there were these two girls who went to go see the movie at this one theater forty times over the course of a year, mm. or forty to fifty times. They saw it practically every week yeah for a year imagine that doing that watching nothing but one film every week for a year that does sound insane but it's not as insane as what i've heard other people do which is what w one group watched grown-ups two every day for a year <laughs> and at, that, at a certain point like that i just feel like you become uh, like Jeff Goldblum in The Fly, where he turned into grown-up fly. That's a, that's a pretty good assessment. <laughs> but, you know, watching a film once a week, that seems like it could be fun. Yeah. Well, it's just the... the well, I don't know for, how for, we would talk about it. It's like, ah, the, the Empire Strikes Back report. It's still awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of tired of it. I mean, on the one hand, reading about the people who went to go see Star Wars you know, 20, 30, 40 times right. uh, in its releases. It sounds kind of crazy, even though tickets were much cheaper back then, too. Well, um, yes. And, uh, but the point is, this book is amazing. Yes. And I was really glad to read this one. Following... In a year, we're probably going to do Return of the Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I heard that one and I'm looking... uses... I heard that one uses some interviews that are more contemporary. Okay. But I'll see how we'll see how it goes. I actually have heard that production was even harder. What? Than Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> so, but I'm looking forward to that. I, yeah, I'd I am gladly too. read the 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 Return of the Jedi book because the 
these first two books, Making of Star Wars, Making of Empire Strikes Back, have been such a joy to read. It's given you. It, it gives you uh, to both the layman and to somebody who knows a lot about filmmaking. It gives you a window into the process, yes. and that's a unique thing to do and in a, a way that is not bogged down in technical lingo. Yeah, I mean the fact that it is about Star Wars really helps. It does help a bit, to be fair. I mean, you're not reading about a Bergman film, for yeah. example. Um, you, you're not reading about Heaven's Gate because you're never seeing it. <laughs> I well, th no, I, I've talked. Well, I talked about the the making of Heaven's Gate book. That's actually a great book. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, I, I know you wouldn't so be as interested. People in have that. seen Heaven's Gate. Yeah, whereas a this, lot of people have seen Star Wars. I, as I was reading the book, and I don't know if you had this too. Sometimes I would be playing the scenes in my head as I would read about how the scenes were made. Okay. So that was something that was kind of enjoyable too. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I highly recommend it. If you guys have seen, well, if you've seen Empire, Empire Strikes Back, if you're listening to this podcast, I'll, I'll bet dollars to donuts you have. But if you've possibly read the book or have any thoughts about what we've talked about, if you think George Lucas is a big baby, <laughs> he's a big whiny baby, uh, send us an email to wagesofcinema at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. The exhibitors tell me, the ones who, who show the films, that uh, there's no surefire success. The, the distributors say there certainly is no surefire success. The producers have long since told me there's no surefire success. The worst risk it would be spraining my ankle. I could end up being the Fonz of space. There have been a lot of science fiction films all through uh, the history of movies. Some have been really good and some have been terrible. But the elements that make them good, I think, are the characterizations. The space hardware that we have and the special effects are as good as we can possibly do them, but you could have a whole movie full of great special effects and people would fall asleep. It's very doubtful that it will equal the intensity of the impact. I think it's sort of all blown out in that one big one. And all the others that come along, whether it's in our series or anything to do with fantasy or science fiction, will never be that big. But. Uh, I think this is the one. This is the one that people are going to look at and say either terrific, when's the next one, or nice try, too bad you didn't make it. There's one thing I want to bring up. Okay, one more thing. This was like an urban legend going around when I was in college. Okay. There was this idea that George Lucas had been, you know, it comes from this idea that George Lucas was hands-off during the production of Empire Strikes Back. Okay. And there was this rumor going around that Irving Kirshner like the, the cut of star wars got put together and people were like uh oh it looks great we love it and that but george lucas as he had nothing to do with it kind of got a little bit of jealousy and then decided to cut it again the way he would have done it and then when people saw that they kind of just laughed it down that's not true it's not true at all no I, I, never, I never heard that i heard this on a spill.com podcast huh really yeah and i think it was uh, i it was a long time ago, so I'm not going to... I really don't remember who said it or where, what source they got it from. Uh, but it was this rumor that had gone around, and there's no truth to it at all. Yeah. I, not well, they, even even if I had heard that, I wouldn't have believed it at the time, because... You know, that, that, uh, I, but it, uh, I heard it, and after, over time I grew skeptical of it, because it didn't seem... Like, it, it seemed like it was very much a product of the prequels backlash. 
Okay. And it, and I'm like, well, and I didn't think about it much. And then reading about Empire Strikes Back, it's like George Lucas couldn't have recut it because it would have taken so much time. He really? was doing yeah. so much, he wouldn't have had time to be jealous. Let alone yeah. Recut now, the thing. will I say that did he? I mean, did he have an ego? Yeah. Sure. You George don't, Lucas has an ego. Yeah, he does have an ego. He has a sense about himself. Is George Lucas a raging egomaniac who no. would recut a film because somebody else had done a better job? No. No. He and George fa- Lucas is not petty. No, no. He is I can say that, that no, definitely. No, on the contrary, Lucas. reading these two books, he is not pet he's very shrewd. Right. He's very in, in, in that sense, you could almost criticize him as somebody who maybe if he did have a fault, it was that sense of just try to do it a lot cheaper, a lot simply. Now, maybe it was, and I can relate to this too. You sometimes have these competing things going on in your brain. On the one hand, you want to be creative and have really good work. But on the other hand, if you're managing the money, you have to think about that. And you don't want to overspend, especially when it's your own money. People, and People are in conflict with themselves. And also to put it into other historical context, by the way. You know, this movie is being made in 79, 19, into 1980. Yeah. This is after Coppola has his, you know, incredible fiasco with Apocalypse Now. Right. And clearly Lucas, actually, and I think they mentioned in passing, Lucas uh, helped out on some editing with that. And they talked about Harrison Ford working on Apocalypse Now. Which was, yeah, that was an interesting, you know what his name was in that? Lucas. <laughs> and all ironic, considering that Lucas... Could have directed Apocalypse Now. And and Martin Sheen was going to kill Colonel Kurtz. What? Gary Kurtz. But that's a co- that's a coincidence. I know. <laughs> Kurtz was in the ori- Kurtz was in the novel. Heart I know, I know, but that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Thank you. You, you played me. You played me well. Um, no, that's. Wow, yeah, I, I hadn't heard about that urban legend. Uh, I can believe it to it's an extent. It's so garbage. No, it's garbage. You know what? It's 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 the thing that, in a way, happened with Chimino with Heaven's Gate, to bring it back to that, because people hated Heaven's Gate so much, they used it as a reason to go back and lambast the deer hunter. They're like, well, maybe this wasn't as good as we remembered. Right. And, now, and that's what ended up happening with George Lucas, because he, you know, had his problems with on the prequels, then people went back and were like, oh no, you know, you look at Return of the Jedi and the downfall is happening there. And that's not necessarily the case. Not necessarily true. With no, I'm curious to now again, read the book. Then again, we haven't read the book. so maybe. I'm curious to now read that book. Maybe the Return know. of the Jedi book is like the, uh, the VH1 equivalent of behind the scenes, things were falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, well that's, or it's more like uh, that... I know you haven't watched the show, but there's this one pivotal scene on the show Breaking Bad where Walter White tells uh, Jesse Pinkman, I'm not in the drug business. I am in the Empire business. (laughs) Maybe at some point Lucas finally realizes, I'm in the Empire business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to read that. Colonel Kurtz! Anyway. I, I want to read about... All right, we got to get going. But, uh, yeah, so Facebook.com slash Wages of Cinema and Twitter.com slash Wages of Cinema. And uh, when we come back next time, we'll have more movie talk and things coming out of our brains and Bernard Shaw's. Yeah, definitely <laughs> more Bernard Shaw's. We need more Bernard Shaw on this planet. Um, so and William Hurts. Yes, or uh, John, John, the John Hurt Locker. <laughs> <laughs>
There we he go. He texted that to me, and I, I had a bit of a chuckle. Terrible puns. Yeah, I didn't even get that pun. Um, <laughs> all right, at the uh, all right. So I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And the wages of cinema is dun 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 d